Good morning. This is Tom Clark, Papa Tom with the Father's Heart Media and Papa Tom's Tales, who's writing those children's books. I've got two of them out now, and the third one's hot on the way. Uh, Luke the Light Bearer defeats the spirit of confusion. And the third one's going to be the birthday present, where we have a special guest with us today. Her name is Candy Clancy, and she has a New York background just like I do. And the reason why I asked her to come on to this podcast is because she's got a very special message that's consonant with uh, the Father's Heart Media, which is our mission statement, Malachi 4.6, at the end of the age, I'll bring the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children to the fathers. And everything that we put out is all about connection, uh, the natural connection in, in uh, children to parents and also uh, us as children to God our Father. And uh, Candy has a very interesting story. It's a very emotional, and it's heartbreaking at points of it, and yet it's a glorious end at the, at the end of the story. And it's a beautiful story, and it's, um, it'll be very encouraging to you. I promise you'll see what the connection is uh, on multiple levels uh, between Candy and her uh, long lost child. And uh, also, it's, it's a parallelism to God the Father and how we are often long-lost children and how much it hurts his heart that we're separated from him. But uh, at the end of our um, podcast, I'm sure you'll be blessed to hear what God did in Candy's life. So with that, Candy, share with the audience a little bit of background about yourself. Tell them about you because they don't know you from Adam. Mm -hmm. uh, you are a Christian, right? Yes, sir. And uh, you were raised in Episcopal Church, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And uh, But there was a time in your life when the religious part of being a Christian changed. And so uh, tell the audience a little bit about how you came to know the Lord personally. Okay. Um, I was raised uh, in the Episcopal Church from birth until... 21 when I got married, went to Sunday school, heard all the little stories, um, could repeat them, knew, knew God, knew the Father, knew stories about the Holy Spirit, um, thought the sermons were very boring when I couldn't go to church school, kids church school anymore, and sat with my mom and dad and my mom, I'd whisper to my mom at 18, 19, 20 years old, like, Mom, I don't know what he's saying. What is he talking about? And she said, oh, honey, just look at the pretty stained glass windows. Don't, don't worry about that. Just look at the pretty stained glass windows and see the stories that are being told in each window. Um, and I thought, okay, but all, that didn't sit well with me. I thought there must be more than that to God. Mm -hmm. um, so got married at 21 to my um, high school sweetheart. Well, actually, eighth grade sweetheart. And he began to have trouble with alcohol. Mm -hmm. Through those first few years of marriage, I ended up going to Al-Anon to get some help from this roller coaster of alcoholic behavior. And um, varying degrees of women in there in different stages of life and living with an addicted person. And there was this one woman, Carol, and she had great peace in her life. And I used to go to her after the meeting and say, Carol, your husband just sold your jewelry and sold your car and you couldn't find your car keys. And you come to find out the next day he sold the car to get his drugs and, um, and alcohol. And 
you know, but you, you can say all this and go through all this, but yet you seem peaceful. I said, I need peace in my life. How do you, you know, she said, just keep coming back, keep coming back, keep praying to your higher power. I believe to be God, she would say, and uh, just keep talking to me and just keep coming back. So it was a few weeks later, I kept talking to her. And finally, I said, Carol, I need some peace in my life. I said, I don't know if you're on Valium or, <laughs> you know, what what is the drug of choice for you? You're drunk on something. <laughs> yes, you, you know, something is going on with you. And I was just drawn to her. I didn't realize it was God sending me to her at sure. the time. And she finally, about a month or two into me going to Al-Anon, she said, um, she said, well, actually, I'm ready to help you. Mm. I can see that you're committed. You want to get better. And she said, um, do you take any offense to people who clap in church? Mm. I said, no, not at all. She said, do you own a Bible? I said, yes, somewhere I have a Bible. And she said, okay, well, this is the address. And you meet me there Sunday morning, and we're going to go to church, and I'm going to show you why I have peace in my life. And I went, I was clapping, I was singing, I was reading scriptures in my Bible with the pastor um, during the sermon, and at the end I went up for an altar call, and, you know, do you believe, do you this, do you that, do you want this, this and that, and I'm like, yes, 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 and, um, and boom, you know, I said the salvation prayer and I got mm -hmm. saved wonderfully, wonderfully. That was, this was age 22? I think I was 23 at the time. 23 yes. at the time. Okay. Yes. Yeah. 23. Mm -hmm. I changed my life. And then I took the book knowledge of God and it became an emotional part of my life. Mm -hmm. And he just, I mean... When you say new creature in Christ, oh boy, I became a new creature in Christ. And to this day, I say to even a lot of my saved friends who were, who still struggle in some areas and this and that. And I said, hey, you know, all I can say, because they question me, like, how do you still stay happy? How do you stay happy? How do you stay so full of hope? Yeah. And I said, well, when I got saved, I got saved. Like, I took it seriously. Yeah. And I read my word and I played my music and I spent time with God and I, I let him fill me right. with his glory, his Shekinah glory. And I've tried to just live that way. So you're spirit filled too. Spirit filled. Yes, sir. Yeah. You speak in tongues? Absolutely. Good. Only way to get through life. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason why you said that you had saved the 23, but the story actually begins when you were 15 years old. Yes, sir. And uh, you are the mother of how many children? Five. How many grandchildren? Ten. Ten grandchildren and five children. Mm -hmm. uh, but the most important part of this story that we're going to relate this day has to do with when you were 15, because uh, I'm assuming now you're over age 65? I'm going to be 65 in May. Okay, yes, perfect sir. Perfect time. Mm -hmm. Okay. So going back to 15, that would be 50, 50 years ago. Oh, it seems like yesterday. So 50 years ago, we weren't living in a time of a lot of abortions back then. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when something happened that a woman got pregnant outside of pregnancy, the choice was not necessarily to abort the child, mm -hmm. but tell the audience what happened to you and why it happened mm -hmm. when you were 15 years old and you were in love with your 
eighth grade sweetheart mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you were in love mm -hmm. and he got you pregnant mm -hmm. and your father who was in a very responsible position of the government yes couldn't afford his daughter to have the disgrace of an out of wedlock pregnancy Sorry. you know you may not be aware of this but now I just thought just came to me you know there's there's uh, they say the sins last for four generations mm -hmm. but there's two sins that last for ten generations one is incest. Mm -hmm. The second one is illegitimacy. Right. Now, God obviously can forgive that. We were not going to go into all that. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. that was something that was, uh, in at least in society at that time, uh, verboten. Something that they just couldn't handle. Right. Particularly if you were in a position of responsibility, authority, and government right. in politics 50 years ago. Right. And this is in, was this in Staten Island, New York? Staten Island, New York. Okay. Yes, sir. What position did your father have? He was, um, throughout his career, he was an assistant DA. Mm -hmm. He was the um, deputy borough president of Staten Island. Mm -hmm. He um, went on to be a magistrate in the court system, mm -hmm. was admitted to the Supreme Court bar. Wow. Yeah. Big time. Mm -hmm. So he couldn't have a blemish on his record. No. Mm -hmm. Right. So what happened when you were 15 and you got pregnant with the with the boy at that time? I could call him a boy, a young mm -hmm. man who mm -hmm. uh, Im impregnated you at that time and you weren't married. Yes. Well, um, I went to a private Lutheran school and it was in a so-so neighborhood, a big uh, Lutheran mm -hmm. cathedral. Um, and they built a school um, on some property that they owned. Um, right next to the, the big church. Mm -hmm. And they opened the gym mm -hmm. in the afternoon into the early evening for the neighborhood kids to get mm -hmm. them off the streets um, to come into the gym and play. I was, at this time in the eighth grade, I was a little cheerleader at our little school with our little uh -huh. Bobby socks and... Were you a hottie back then? Um, evidently so. <laughs> 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 well, you have beautiful I eyes. I just thank you. I just felt like myself, you know, just yeah. felt like who you are. But evidently, um, I, for eighth grade, I was a full figure gal, let's say. Uh -huh. um, voluptuous? Voluptuous, um, curves in all the right places, got uh -huh. whistled out at the bus stop by the garbage trucks going by and the workers yeah. going by. But you know, it was odd because I was still just a kid. I, sure. You know. Sure. You know, was standing there with my flat-chested friends who didn't get any, <laughs> you know, cat calls or wolf calls uh -huh. or whatever it was. But um, yeah. So um, they opened the gym, so we would be practicing up in the balcony of the gym, our little squad of ten girls, for the um, basketball team, and the neighborhood guys come in. Now my. Um, boyfriend who became my boyfriend and later my husband Danny um, was older he's four years older so he was like a junior in high school and here I was a little innocent eighth grader and um, took advantage of you well we'll see how that works out but um so he was 19 when you were 15. well I was 15 16 17 18 19 yeah. yes yes um and so we started dating 
And well, in the gym, it was they kept throwing the football and they were playing basketball down in the gym floor, about 10 guys, and they kept throwing it up to the balcony. And, you know, we didn't know about such flirtatious things. Um, we might have dreamed of them, but we never encountered them. And we said, why are they throwing that up here? And we said, here's your ball. And five seconds later, the ball was back right. up. I'm like, what are you doing? And then one of the girls said, they're flirting with us. And I'm like, oh get out of here. And then after a few weeks of seeing them at the gym, um, um, I thought, Oh, I like this guy. He's nice. We've shared a few sentences and, and my girlfriend liked this other fella. Did you go on a date? No, but we invited them to the school dance. There was like the last Friday of the month, there was a school dance Mm -hmm. and we could bring whoever was for the school. But if you, you know, yeah. you could bring other people. We invited them to the school dance, and they came. Yeah. And they were all cleaned up. Yeah. In their um, bell-bottom corduroys <laughs> and iron shirt, collared shirt, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. And he came, and he wanted to dance with me, and um, slow dance. Oh, fast dance, slow dance, yeah. anything. Um. He just thought I was wonderful, and I thought he was really cute. And anyway, and then he walked me home after the dance. I didn't realize it at the time, but when I reflect, I can see that that was sin beginning to enter my life um, because for the first time, I started lying to my parents. I see. And I said, oh, no, Heidi's mom's going to bring me home. But really, Danny was walking me home. Just a curiosity, uh, what was your sex education from your parents at 15 years old at this time? I don't speak ago? a lot of different languages, but I would say zero, zilch, nada, nothing. Right. Yeah. So how did uh, Danny end up getting you in a compromising position? Well, it? it was uh, a year later. We were dating for a year. He asked me out on June 22nd, and that was you know, our date, and it was like a year later, um, he let his intentions be known that he was interested in a little bit more than smooching. Um, But I was like, no, you can't touch me there. No, you can't do this and that. And um, we would spend time in parks and lay on the grass and smooch, look at the sky and talk forever. Um, So there was a closeness beginning and then his mom died um at 48 years old and what she die of um, so early young heart, age heart attack heart attack um and yeah she was very young and um he just needed to be consoled he was just he didn't he didn't have the best relationship with his mom but now he was angry she was gone and they could yeah. never make things right and this and that, and um, so I just felt so bad for him, and my parents were going to be out one weekend, and I said, well, come over to the house, because um, my parents knew that he was from the wrong side of the tracks okay. and didn't want me to see him. And So that was another issue? That was another issue um, that I lied to them about, and we would meet at Heidi's house, mm-hmm. um, and I would, I'm going to Heidi's house, but I'd go to Heidi's house and then spend the day with him. Yeah. And um, that weekend, I said, well, come on over. We'll sit on the front porch. You know, we can go on the hammock in the backyard and um, and just enjoy the day. And we ended up in the living room. 
Um, then we ended up in my bedroom and my four-poster canopy bed, and we were just talking and smooching and didn't think that anything would come of that, but one thing led, led to another. another, and boom, it was the first time that I had a sexual encounter. And um, So to be just to clarify, mm -hmm. the first time you had a sexual encounter, you got pregnant? Yes. Immediately? Yes. Okay. And then what happened, rolling the story forward, um, the 15th year, in your 15th year, you became pregnant, and nine months later, the baby was born? Yes. And how did that, how the, what, what happened with your parents? They obviously knew you were pregnant. No, they didn't. They didn't? No. For nine months? How no. did you hide it? Um, because my, I'm adopted also. Mm. I was also born out of wedlock. And um, my mom never had a pregnancy. So my dad had caught the mumps as a young adult and became sterile, and they just never had children. And they had adopted my older brother first. He was three years older than me. So all your siblings are adopted? I had just have one, one brother I was raised with. And he's adopted. He was adopted. So both of you are adopted. And you so, get pregnant and your parents don't. So my mom didn't know to look for, you know, like rosy cheeks and a little thickening in the tummy. And and I was very athletic. I was on the girls' volleyball team, the girls' oh. softball team. So I was always in, you know, well, athletic they were gear. Were getting weight or something? Finally. Well, I did not tell them anything until I was seven months pregnant. Hmm. And my girlfriend Heidi said... Um, you know, you could have the baby any time now. You you need to tell your mom and dad. And I'm like, no, you know, you have a baby at nine months. Mm -hmm. And she said, no, it could come early. You need to tell somebody. Yeah. Um, and I thought I was just panic stricken and didn't know what to do. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know. And I was, I finally, my volleyball uniform back then, we didn't wear these shorts that were with your back cheeks hanging out like they do now. And um, it was a dress, you know, it was uh -huh. a public high school at this point, and it was a dress. Uh -huh. And I could barely snap it closed mm -hmm. anymore. And I told my mom, and I said, could will you take that to your seamstress and get that, like, thick, let out for me? And she said, I, and then, then she said, seven months, and she, uh, she said, I noticed you being a little thick in the middle. Yeah. Um, maybe you should just, you know, calm down. The reason why I'm asking this question was because my mother was the mother of eight children. Mm -hmm. And she, when she got pregnant with me, well, that was our first child, she was 105 pounds. And she ballooned up to 155 pounds, mm -hmm. and she had 50 pounds that she was carrying. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was like a medicine ball in there. Yeah, well, I think because I was young and athletic, um, you, you didn't have that. Reaction. I didn't have cravings. I yeah. wasn't eating ice cream and pickles, and you know, and, and I was just very active. So okay. I'm sure I put on extra weight, but it was just a little teeny thing. So how did how did it transition to the point you ended up in the hospital? to have the baby. Well, I, I was much closer with my dad than my mom. Um, and I knew I had to tell my dad. The thought of telling my mom never entered my mind. It was, I need to tell my dad because we did everything together. And I called him up. Um, we were the type of family that 
Um, dad would come home from work. Mom and dad would have um, cocktails and hors d'oeuvres. When dad came home, we had to be banished uh, to the upstairs. And then when cocktails were over, my dad would put back on his suit jacket and we called to dinner and sit up straight and all this and that. And I said, hey, dad, um, you know, I got to talk to you tonight. Can I can you come up to my room after dinner? So he said, uh, OK, you finish helping mom with the dishes and then I'll come up to your room. So he came up. I was a nervous wreck. I was just a nervous wreck. And he came in and he could see I was just flustered. And I'm usually calm, collected. And I was just a wreck. And he said, what's going on? And he shut the door. He sat on my bed. And I said, Dad, I have something to tell you. I'm so upset. And I, I'm just, I was just a wreck. And he said, well, he started pacing. He's doing his lawyer pace with his hands behind his back and he's pacing in the room. He says, well, I think I know what's the matter. And I said, no, dad, I don't think that you possibly could know what's the matter. And he said, no, I've heard, I've heard rumors are going around about you. And I said, rumors? He said, I've heard, it's gotten back to me that there's rumors that you might be pregnant because you put a little weight on mm -hmm. and you might possibly be pregnant. And I'm going to end these rumors and I'm going to get to the bottom of it and whoever started this will be punished. And I looked at him with tears overflowing the rims of my eyes and I said, Daddy, they're not rumors. And I had never seen the look that he gave me. Um, it wasn't a look of anger. It was just, you know, he thought he knew everything in the world. So yeah. he had to be right about the rumors. And when it wasn't, he was just, his face went blank. He got a little pale. He said, what are you talking about? I said, and then I really, you know, held my sweatshirt to my belly. And I said, no, dad, I'm pregnant. And he was, you know, first thing he said was, are you all right? this and that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Have you seen a doctor? How do you know? And I said, yes, I've been to the doctor one time. Mm -hmm. So that's how, you know, he Do you found... think he was a good father to you in that sense? I do. I always felt loved and a connection. I, later in life, um, it has been brought to my attention that he manipulated me in what happened right after all that. But... I still think as a father in a position he wasn't politically and the status that he held in our community, that he probably did the best that he could do. So I never, I was never angry with him. Um, I was hurt, but not angry. Um, so you ended up going to the hospital. Well, we had to see a doctor for the two months. He sent my mother away because she really? could not handle it. Wow. Um, the doctor told him to send me to a home for unwed mothers. Yeah. And my father said, no, no, no. My wife will be leaving the house, not my daughter. Really? Yeah, we were. I was close to my dad. Yeah. And um, so my mom went to live with her parents in Florida for the next two months. And we he would take me to the doctors. But I he had to give me an alias. Oh. So I was no longer... Your maiden name. My maiden name, I was now given the, another name. Huh. Candy, but another last, last name. name yeah. And a different address in Queens, New York. Wow. 
and we were from Staten Island. And I, Dad, what is all? What What do you mean? Why do I have to do this for? And well, he's a lawyer. He's he figuring said out. to he, protect his yeah. anonymity. Yeah. So, uh, so we get to the hospital, um, and when I went into labor. And he had told me the few days before that I would not be keeping the baby. I had no idea that I would not keep this baby. Mm-hmm. Um, being adopted, I always... Being adopted yourself. Being adopted myself, I thought, this is the first human being that has my blood that right. I will know. Right. Of course, I have to have this baby. But as sure. a 15-year-old, I'm not thinking about the particular... Who's going to watch the baby? Right. What's going to happen? All the things. So, so he was communicating to you that this baby is going to be adopted by somebody else. Yes. Through the same agency, very uh, fine agency in Manhattan where I came from. Uh, he would go through them. Yeah. And and I was like, no, we can't do that. But he had it all arranged with the doctor to give me. It was common of the time, too, to put a, ma- a gas mask on me during labor and knock me out so I would not hear the baby cry. I could right. not see the baby afterwards. And you wouldn't be able to connect with the baby. Right. No That's connection. It. You know, there's a movie that follows the pattern of your life. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you ever saw it. It's called August Rush. Yes, I've seen that. Have you yes. seen it? Yes. Doesn't yeah. that have some Cried artists? the entire time. Yeah. Yes. I said, how do they know my story? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's, so the the baby was born. The baby was born. And it, you you didn't never saw it. Never saw it. And it was uh, put up for adoption. Your, mm-hmm. your father had the whole thing arranged. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it like psychologically for you after right after this happened you go back to high school or two weeks later um he wrote me out of high school saying i had a blood dyscrasia Uh and he didn't want the teachers to know didn't want anybody to know i wasn't really showing yet that they could tell in school um so yeah candy has been released by her doctor to return back to school and two weeks later i was back in school okay and um i can't i don't know all the right lingo, but from what I do know, I think I kind of have PTSD during that period because I it's really kind of a blank. I don't, uh-huh. I can't remember. I can't, I can't, I... So you kind of blocked it out. Yes. Yeah. Uh, both uh, emotionally and even in, in your memory things. Yes. Uh, but you eventually ended up marrying uh, Danny. Yes. Who was... Uh, the father yes of uh this child um tell the audience a little bit about back then uh, and the, the life that you have because many many years went by mm-hmm. and you never saw this child did you know it was a boy or a girl i did wake up on the stretcher with an orderly um, pushing me. And I said, where's my baby? What what happened? Where's my baby? And what did I have? And they told me it was a boy and then I couldn't see it. So I knew it was a boy. And that was it? Yeah. And when you first told me the story and I thought it was important to interview on this, the thing that shocked me was how the healthcare system was just like the barriers went up and the way the healthcare system works. uh, Even if you want to know who your child was, they they stop you or prevent you from connecting with this child. Right. Uh, at least until I think I heard you say until after they were eighteen years old. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it was a prof. It was a very um, hoity-toity 
agencies uh, that we went through in Manhattan and um, explain hoity-toity for our audience. Um, upscale, I know exactly what it is. I know from New York. upscale, <laughs> um, high class, um, high class clientele costs more than a usual, you know, community center or public health system. That and your might... father was well healed. He had money, yeah, yes, so he could arrange this thing. Yes, and. Yeah. Um, and all that. So, and when I look back at it now as a full-grown adult, um, I think the whole thing was probably illegal. Um, you know, uh, the alias, the this and the that, the uh, just the way it was handled. It was definitely a subterfuge. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. It's it would not happen today. I'm a pediatric nurse by trade, um, um, and. It came about in the early 80s, mid 80s, that a 16-year-old could come in, have a baby, have an abortion, have syphilis, and her parents never needed to know because they were emancipated if they had had sex. So parents were then cut out of the system. Yeah. But, you know, back in nineteen early 1970s, it was completely different. Parents held the upper hand and could do whatever they wanted. Yeah. So. Huh. So uh, explain to the audience what happened at 18 when uh, you realized that this child you could get in contact with. Well, I kept dealing with the post-adoptions um, services at the um, adoption agency, and they said that uh, there was no need to look for him he ha- he has to be at least 18 before they would even accept a letter from me because I went on to explain to them that I married the father um and you know you had all these rightful say rightful reasons to want to connect with yes. this child yes. but the system prevented you from doing that yes and I think you told me it took 37 years 37 years later um, I kept sending letters in every couple of years, um, every two years or so. And finally in 2010, I learned that I needed, um, a, an aortic valve replacement and open heart surgery, which I could survive or could not, um, that I had a, um, congenital malformation in my aortic valve mm-hmm. that, became a parent in my 50s um, through a heart murmur that came on suddenly. And I thought, I have to meet this child or at least let him know that I've loved him all these years. My husband and I have loved him all these years. So again, I'm now in verbal communication with post-adoption um, portion of the um, um, What was agency. the breakthrough? Tell the audience, what was the breakthrough that allowed you to make that first contact? The woman, when I told her story that I married the dad, we have uh, this child given up for adoption as four full-blooded siblings. Um, It was a whole love story and everything. She was in tears. She was crying on the other end of the phone. I was crying. And she said, I'm going to do my best to find this child for you. It's perverse not to allow a mother. To have access and to have a connection with their own child. Yes, but really back then it was very closed adoption. It was legally <laughs> mm-hmm. done, closed adoption. I think from that and from stories such as mine, it became open adoption mm-hmm. over the years um, that, that came after that. 
So she said, let me get your records out of the archives. It had now been 37 years. And she came up, she said, I'm going to thoroughly go over everything. I'll call you by the end of the week. She called and said that your son wrote in, I think it was in 1999. Um, and Which was 11 years before that. Yes. Um, not saying exactly that he wanted to meet. I need to meet my mom and dad, but um, I wanted information about my parents and might want to meet them or something mm -hmm. such as that. And um, they never, the adoption agency never took the responsibility to, to contact me to say yeah. your son had written in yeah. and showed interest to some degree. Um, and that was totally their fault. Mm -hmm. So she was flabbergasted and... She and she saw all my letters in the file that I had written. So what did she do to connect you to? I don't know, but she I won't even say her name right here, but I remember her name all these years later and she said, I'm gonna do everything I possibly can short of getting myself fired because I need my income oh. um to help you. And there will be a positive ending. So she was the person that God used yes. to connect you with your son. A hundred percent. She just she was the right. She was the head of the whole um, department of post adoption services, and sure enough, um, about three weeks later, I get a letter, as did my son in Connecticut, which I didn't know he lived there, but he got a letter, yeah. not from the agency, but from the Board of Health of New York, mm -hmm. because their records still had to be closed, mm -hmm. and she finagled something somehow without getting herself fired, that the Board of Health gave us each other's names and connected so did you, did us. did you call him? Or he they didn't you? include the phone number. It had an address, no phone number. My daughter went on social media and said, Mom, everybody's on social media. We have the name, we have the town, um, because his name was now his adopted name, not a name we had given him. And she said, we're going to find him, Mom. He's on social media. He's got to be. Everybody somewhere. But back in those days, I think it was uh, MySpace and stuff, you had to join. You had to pay 25 or $50 for these different sites, unlike Facebook and uh, all today. So she got her credit card out, and she was just doing, and she found his name. Oh. And um, this is like a few hours later. She found his name. She typed a note in to the person and said, "Hey, um, we we are looking for a lost family member." Because so she know. used social media to connect. Them. Yes, yes, the power of social media. <laughs> and she said, "We are looking for a lost family member who has your name and your date of birth listed here. Um, would you might might you be looking for a lost family member?" His wife happened to be home for lunch that day, saw the message immediately, and responded, yes, my husband is this person, and he is looking for a lot. He, he has lost touch with some of his family. They had a few other little sentences of mentioning the town he was born. Yes, that is where he was born, and um, you know some identifying things, and said, I'm going to call my husband. He's going to come home, and he'll... He'll call you. My daughter gave the phone number, and within an hour, I was talking to my son. Wow! It was, it was a work of only the Holy Spirit. And how how soon after that phone call were you able to meet him per, face to face? About three days later. Three days later. He um, the first phone. Did he look like you? Oh yes, yes. 
You could tell it was his son. Oh, yes. 100%. Um, what did he look like? Was he tall? He is tall, dark, and handsome. Tall, dark, and handsome. Yes. Yes. Um, now, I think you mentioned your, your, he was different than your husband, though. My husband is a his, my husband recently passed, but he um, was a smaller man. Yeah. Um, five foot seven, thin boned, small boned man, and all my sons are six foot, you know, yeah. near two hundred pounds, and you know, broad, big right. men, muscular, and the and hockey players. So we knew we knew all our life consisted of was church. And hockey. Uh -huh. Church and hockey, hockey and church. And for, he played hockey too? And I said, when this boy, he's either got to be a pastor uh -huh. or he's got to be a hockey player. <laughs> and he's been on the ice since he's four years old. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Was he a believer? No. No. Um, uh, a believer in, in God. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say born again. Yeah. But um, went, was raised in church uh -huh. and all. So knew of God. I'm sure prayed over the years, yeah. but he didn't, um, not to the extent that we were uh, as a family. Has any of that changed since the time you met him? Um, don't actually, actually know. Mm -hmm. I would kind of say uh, there's a little bit more there that he could entertain. Do you think he needs a better connection to um, God than he has one right now? You know, you never know what somebody is going through personally. Yeah. So... What I see in him is that he knows he has a God connection, yeah. but is he manifesting it the yeah. best he could with the Holy Spirit being involved? Probably not. Yeah. Probably not. But the first time we talked that day that he called, he said, oh my gosh, you know, he was, he was just talking a mile a minute and he said, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. He said, I'm talking to my mother and um and I know I can talk to my dad soon, you know, and he said, I don't want you to think I'm weird. I'm really just a normal kind of guy, but I've been waiting to talk to a family member and, you know, hopefully a mom or dad, because I have a question that's haunted me my entire life, but I don't want you to think, I don't want you to judge me or think I'm really strange. And I said, sweetheart. You know, unconditional love, you know, you don't know us yet, but whatever your situation, it's unconditional love. Um, just ask away. What What is your question? And he said the weirdest thing, but made sense to me. He said, does the number 22 mean anything to you? Yeah. And I just started crying. I was like, ver you know, verbally, he could hear me. I was like, you know, oh, oh, oh. and he's like, oh, no, see, see, you think I'm weird because I'm asking about this. You must think I'm weird. And I said, no, no, just give me a minute. Give me a minute. And I'm, you know, blow my nose and wipe my tears. And I said, he said, what is it? Well, I'm so sorry I upset you. Okay, well, we'll talk about that. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. Um, the number 22 is me and your dad. And he's like, what? what? What do you mean? What, what, are you, what are you talking about? I said, we started dating on the 22nd, um, June 22nd. We got married on July 22nd. 
I said, it was our number. You know, a couple can have a number, and it yeah. was our number. Every time Daddy got me a piece of jewelry, it had a 22 in it or inscribed on it. When we were kids, I'd get them a football jerseys, and they always had a 22 on it. Um, it was just part of our lives. Our phone numbers had 22 in the middle of it. My license plate is a customized plate with my initials and the number 22. The garage, the bank account, everything has a 22 in it. And um, he's like, no way. Get out of here. And he says, it's haunted me. My friends told me because he was also born on the 22nd, our love child, born on the 22nd. So you dated on the 22nd. He's born on the 22nd. Yes. You got married on the 22nd. Yes. yes. Everything was 22nd. Everything was 22nd. Um, across, I got my husband, had the number 22 inscribed on it. Our wedding rings, 22. Everything had a 22. And he said his friends teased him all his life because he was born on the 22nd. They said, you're obsessed with the date of your birth. And he said, no, no, this is haunting. It comes to me in the middle of the night, the, the number God 22. God was speaking to him somehow through that. He, you know what? We've, we've talked about it at length, and it's like it was our God connection. It yeah. was somehow he was staying connected with his parents because he had no idea what the number 20. He sure. looked up numerology. He, right. you know, looked up all kinds of things. Didn't really relate it to his parents. Um, but if now he understands that 22 is his mom and dad. And when yeah. we talked, I told you that the Hebrew language has 22 letters in it. Yes, yes. That means the word of God was written. Yes. In the Hebrew language, mm -hmm. which had 22 letters in it. Yes. And we looked up some of the other Bible references to that. And it makes reference to light. It's amazing. You know? Yeah. And uh, and he brought light back into our lives in the in the darkness of let's pray losing for your, him. Let's pray for your son. What's his first name? Peter. Peter. Yes. Father, I want to lift up to you Peter right now with his mother, Candy. And we pray, Lord God, we know that's in your heart to reach out to Peter. Thank you. Lord. And to touch him, Lord God, with your light. Yes. Father. And that, that number twenty two that's haunted him for these years symbolized the light that God wants to shine into his heart, that he would understand your love for him as his ultimate father. Yes. That you're his father, that you want to provide, protect, and mentor him and teach him as your son. And so, Father, I pray that he would be drawn by your love into the kingdom. And that he'd understand what his brother did for him on the cross to allow him to have that connection with you and enter into the family of God for uh, your glory, Father. We pray this and also for a blessing for uh, Candy and all the family members that they would know that her son, Peter, has gotten a relationship with you through the touch that you would have into him, to, into his life right now. And we pray this in the mighty name of Yeshua Elohim. Amen and amen. So that's a great story. Yes, it is. It does it is. really remind me of August Rush for any of our listeners. Mm -hmm. If you would go out and watch that movie, August Rush, they were connected by music. Yes. That family. Yes. Uh, and it was. But so, it came from the parents. Came from the parents. Yeah. So right. there is some connection that right. innately goes through that child. He could listen to the sounds mm -hmm. and it drew him. Mm hmm and drew the parents to him because he was a musical genius. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, is there anything you could share with the audience that's a takeaway that you would want to encourage the audience about? 
in their lives. Absolutely. Disconnected relationships. Absolutely. How disconnected relationships can become connected relationships. Absolutely. We serve a God of redemption. And in the beginning of all that in my 20s, I knew I got miraculously saved. But what did that mean? Mm -hmm. I could understand that. Um, um, as the years unfolded in my life. Um, when I first had my son, I didn't talk about it for 25 years. And finally... Because you were ashamed? I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. Um, and it was expected in the early years because of my father's position that it not be talked about in the family. And then I realized I'm a 30-year-old. You know, I can, I can talk about my life. It's my life. But, um, yeah, it just... Um, it's finally, it just, I, somebody drew it out of me and then I just didn't, pardon my expression, mm -hmm. shut up about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it has become such a story of redemption. I believe in my son's life also. I believe in, um, my four children that I did raise, um, they have, they know mom. They know me as the church lady who served in church, mm -hmm. prayer team, hospitality. You know, the doors were open. We were there. The spaghetti dinners, the everything. But, oops, mom has a little bit of a past. Mm -hmm. And I think that was hard for my kids. Um, that, oh, mom had a baby but didn't raise the baby. And, okay, granddad was in politics. Mm -hmm. But, you know, all the ins and outs. This but, disapprobation in a sense of your life. Yes. Um, so I think that was very hard on the children. Uh, but I think, and now the grandchildren, because a lot of the grandchildren are, they're from three years old till 20. And the ones that are age appropriate know about my past. And they know how Uncle Peter came into wow. the fold and how we found him. But that it stemmed from a sinful nature of sex out of wedlock. And, um, you know, that's how that all began. But in our whole family, um, when we met Peter, um, the first time, my daughter had lived in Connecticut at the time. She met with him for dinner a day or so after we talked and flew him home three days later, three to four days later, and into Charlotte Douglas Airport. And she's texting me when they got off the plane. Okay, we're approaching the escalator. We're going to be coming down the escalator. And the whole family, my husband and I, our other children, their children, their spouses and girlfriend, everybody, I think there was 13 or 15 of us waiting at the bottom of the escalator. And she said, okay, we're getting to the escalator. And he's coming down. The tears, the shouts, the things, the first hug that I gave him. And our eyes locked, and with tears streaming down our faces, my hands are caressing his dark hair, and like you would do a newborn, our eyes locked, and in that moment, our souls saw each other, uh -huh. and we connected. And the redemption, the forgiveness, everything that happened in that moment, and now the year since, um, has just been a remarkable Blessing. Beyond blessing. Yeah. Uh, just an act of God. An act of the Holy Spirit's redemption. Well you're, well, you're exposing to the audience 
is um, the, the truth that God loves us mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that he doesn't judge us or hold anything against us. No, no. And he's always willing to, to reach out to us, have us have a connection like that with him. Yes. Just like what yes. would happen when we pass from this earth and we go to heaven. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. going to be like that kind of a experience. Yes, a reunion. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't work out that way for everybody. Some people don't. In the natural. In the natural. It doesn't always work out. And that's what I get a lot when I tell my story. Because, oh, mm -hmm. my parents didn't want to see me or this or that. And, you know, yeah, my heart hard. breaks for these different situations. Sure. And I can only speak of my experience. And But that was not in the heart of God. What your experience was, was in the heart of God. Mm -hmm. These other people who don't have this experience in the natural, they're not experiencing the love of the Father. No. Yeah. No. And so we want to just pray for those people, reach out to people to say from the father's point of view, yes. right? He wants to connect yes. with each and every one of us. Yes. And he doesn't desire any of us should perish. So we're just thankful for hearing the story now, Clancy. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, Clancy, Candy. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we thank you so much for sharing this with us. And tell the audience a little bit about the book you're writing. Well, I'm writing memoir right now and stay tuned um but it's all coming together um it is very emotional um i had to stop work on it um a couple of months ago because it was reliving um all the details i had a wonderful writing teacher susan graham who passed of covid in january and um great loss in my life. She was my muse and my instructor. And she said that, you know, to write a good book, it, it should come from the Lord. It should come from your heart. It should, um, encompass a multitude of emotion to, because that's how it was lived out in, in real life when you write memoir. And, it, I'm back at it, and it is going to be wonderful. It's not going to have maybe a spiritual or religious title, but it is a complete story of redemption. And what, if you allow God, and if you open your heart, what he can do in your life, yeah. if you allow him to. That's your story. Yeah, that's my story. And you're sticking to it. And I'm sticking to it. <laughs> hundred percent till the day I die. Yes, well, sir. We hope our audience has enjoyed our podcast today. We're so thankful for Candy sharing her uh, thoughts with us and her, her life experiences. We hope that you will have been able to uh, enjoy them and, and, and listen along with us. And they've been encouraging to you about her story of redemption. And we ask you all uh, to your, if you'd be uh, interested in coming to our website, thefathersheartmedia.com and, listening to the books that we're producing and a Papa Tom's Tales, a grandfather's bedtime stories. I actually am having a good experience with one of my grandchildren, Levi, who I'm uh, actually teaching how to write books. And uh, it's a very interesting experience for me to have as a grandfather with that experience. So we're signing off right now. We appreciate uh, your time and listening. And uh, please come back and uh, listen to our podcasts.